This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 253. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Jacob Paulson. Hola. Como estas? Muy bien. <laughs> ya vamos. That's all I know. <laughs> Someone says hola, I say, how are you? <laughs> so what is going on, folks? Uh, we are now here to uh, episode 253. And uh, I'm excited to be here. And today is our usual news episode for the week. We've got a bunch of great stories today. Uh, several justified save stories. We've got a couple of justified or not justified save stories. And uh, of course, other great news for you today. So uh, plus in a moment, we'll be playing for you this week's case of the week from attorney Andrew Branca of Law of Self-Defense. And it's a good one because it comes from a case, uh, an event that just happened uh about a week ago, and it's pretty crazy. So we'd be covering that story as a justified save, but since he talks about it, well, it'd be redundant. Today's episode is made possible and brought to you by, I would encourage you to check out our concealedcarry.com. Jake, we got to come up with a better name for these, bro, like peel and stick or something. Adhesive <laughs> reactive targets. It's very, very clear. Adhesive. Not catchy at all. <laughs> they are adhesive. They are. They stick to things. It's They're, the most bland, black and white descriptive of what these targets are. Adhesive, reactive targets. I don't know what to tell you, dude. They, that's exactly what they are. <laughs> well, other companies would call them peel and stick or pop or what, I don't know. What are all the names? I can't even think what they are right oh, now. I don't know either. Anyway, so guess what? We have our own, our very own branded peel and stick. I'm describing what they do. You peel them off a backer paper and you stick them on something and you shoot them and they glow orange or whatever when you shoot them. They're awesome. <laughs> so go check them out. Uh, we we like them. We like them a lot. The, the One of the great things about these targets that you'll, I think everyone else will enjoy is that they stick really well. Um, I was impressed the first time I used them when I pulled one off and like I, I I think I practically jumped dropped it on the ground <laughs> it had some dirt and dust and stuff on the back and it still stuck on the target backer so I was like okay these things are legit uh, check them out concealedcarry.com forward slash CC targets will get you there and uh, hope you'll give those targets a try they're very reasonably priced you can buy them in quantities of what is it 25 25 is the lowest yeah, 20, 50 and 100 or something like yeah. that so uh, really great value, really great targets. Check them out today, concealcarry.com forward slash CC targets. And today's other episode sponsor is, in fact, the Law of Self-Defense Level 1 online course. Head on over to concealcarry.com forward slash LOSD Level 1, as in numeral 1, and uh, get signed up for one of his upcoming Level 1 online courses. I think you'll really Enjoy. I mean, if you don't enjoy the case of the week segments enough as it is, um, then you need to be sitting in those in one of those online courses as well. Uh, I just finished the uh, online course level one. So now you're like an expert, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Mark comments shoot and see. Yes, that is one of the brands I was trying to think of. Uh, shoot and see target. Yeah, you got it, bud. Um, so 
Yeah, the uh, level one course. Uh, was it good? Yeah, yeah, I think it's really good. And it's just so easy. I love online courses because I can just watch the videos. I can pause them, go do what I need to do, come back, hit play. It remembers where you are. Um, the test at the end is is pretty legit. It's a good test. Like, you better be paying attention if you're going to pass that test. Yeah, it's good. It's worth it. Cool. Well, that's a great endorsement right there. Uh, so, check it out. Level or Law of Self-Defense Level 1 online course. That is concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D level one. And so we're moving right along today because we have a relatively short time frame to get this episode done within, and I apologize for for that. Uh, I hope it doesn't necessarily come across as being rushed. Uh, But we also don't have quite as many stories this week as we have in recent weeks. Uh, I don't know if this week was just a quieter week or what. But uh, anyway, so we are going to queue up now the... Law of Self-Defense, Case of the Week from Attorney Andrew Branca. And I hope you enjoy. This is a good one. This is about the uh, shooting that took place last week in Florida, the Uber driver. And I really like it. It's, it's a good one. So listen to what Andrew has to say about this one. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This Case of the Week is provided for educational purposes only. This Case of the Week took place around 2.30 a.m. on Tuesday, August 28, 2018. An angry boyfriend decided to attack an Uber driver, threatening to have a pistol while raising his cell phone in his right hand, and rather abruptly discovered that the Uber driver was himself armed with a lawfully carried handgun and was willing and able to defend himself from an apparent deadly force attack. The Uber driver fired a single round into the angry boyfriend's chest, neutralizing the threat and permanently neutralizing the angry boyfriend. Now the Uber driver, who coincidentally had just graduated from the local police academy, is being showered with praise by Sheriff Grady Judd of Polk County, Florida, where these events took place. As the sheriff notes in his press conference, and I'll provide a link to the video of that press conference, quote, this is a justified homicide all day long, close quote, a conclusion aided by a considerable body of evidence, much of which was unknown to the Uber driver at the time, as well as dash cam footage from the Uber driver's car that showed the angry boyfriend's threatening behavior. I'll also provide a link to the dash cam footage. This confrontation began at O-Dark 30, and it involves a bar and drinking to the point of being unaware there's gunfire a few feet away, so it's not surprising that the facts are a bit convoluted. In summary, the female Uber passenger was drinking at a local bar and became so intoxicated that a female patron, a kindly stranger to her, called her an Uber to get her home. That female patron was being stalked by an estranged, angry boyfriend who was observing the female patron as she helped the intoxicated Uber passenger out to the Uber car. Mistakenly believing the female patron had also entered the Uber car, the angry boyfriend began to follow the car in his own vehicle, a Ford F-250 pickup truck. In fact, the only people in the car were the Uber driver and the female passenger. The girlfriend had stayed behind. Ironically, the angry boyfriend, the Uber driver, and the female passenger were utter strangers to each other. Unbeknownst to either the Uber driver or passenger, the angry boyfriend was having an angry text exchange with his estranged girlfriend who was in fact back at the bar, but whom he thought was in the Uber vehicle. In that exchange, the boyfriend threatens to severely beat the Uber driver. 
These texts would become known to police after the fact, but were, of course, unknown to the Uber driver at the time he fired the fatal shot in self-defense. Now, as the Uber driver is traveling down the road, the F-250 comes up close on his bumper with its bright lights on, then pulls alongside, and the dash cam footage shows the pickup swerving in front of the Uber and forcing it to a stop. The footage then shows the angry boyfriend exiting his F-250, saying something about having a pistol and raising an object in his right hand. The Uber driver responds to this deadly force threat by firing a single shot into the angry boyfriend's chest, causing a mortal injury. When he went to kick aside the angry boyfriend's apparent gun, he realized that it was in fact a cell phone. Ultimately, no gun was found on the angry boyfriend's person or in his truck, so it appears he was bluffing and had his bluff called good and hard. This Uber driver's mistake in perceiving the cell phone as a gun is, of course, not damaging to his claim of self-defense, so long as his perception of the cell phone as a gun under the circumstances, was a reasonable perception. We're not required to make perfect decisions in self-defense. We're required to make reasonable decisions in self-defense. Sheriff Judd gives a quite entertaining press conference on this matter, a link for which I'll provide in a moment, making clear that he has absolutely no intention of pressing charges or even making an arrest. As he says, the lesson here Don't mess with the Uber driver. Oddly, he repeatedly refers to this incident as a classic stand-your-ground case, which of course it's not. Events unfold so rapidly that retreat from an apparent gun threat was not safely possible, so there would have been no legal duty to retreat even absent stand-your-ground. I expect the sheriff is using the phrase stand-your-ground to mean self-defense immunity, a mistake often made, and particularly to mean the provision of self-defense immunity that states that a person who uses force in self-defense should not be arrested unless there is probable cause that they have committed a crime. Essentially, the sheriff is likely using the phrase and that immunity provision to explain that these events were such a clear-cut case of lawful self-defense that no arrest of the Uber driver is warranted, and that it's this type of scenario that the legislature had in mind when it passed that no-arrest provision of the self-defense immunity law The sheriff is perhaps trying to contrast this case with the recent convenience store shooting case, which was far from an unambiguous self-defense shooting and in which that local sheriff declined to make an arrest based on the no-arrest provision of the immunity law. Ironically, in all of this, Uber's firearms policy prohibits riders and their guests, as well as driver and delivery partners, from carrying firearms of any kind while using their app. So the Uber driver is likely out of his Uber job, But he's in line for a police officer job, having just graduated the academy. The links for the two videos. To see the video of the press conference, which I encourage you to watch, it's quite entertaining, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Judd, J-U-D-D, that's the name of the sheriff. And to see the video of the dash cam footage, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash dash cam. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. I also encourage you to visit our Law of Self-Defense Patreon page where we have free Law of Self-Defense blog content and optional higher value paid content for just $4.99 a month. Plus, for patrons, a free copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, or a DVD, your choice. Find all that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. 
Well, snap. <laughs> That's a doozy of a situation, you know. I mean, it's just so much going on there as far as, you know, it's it's a case of road rage as well as mistaken identity because the dude thinks that there's someone in that vehicle that's not in that vehicle and he's really mad. And meanwhile, that Uber driver's got to be like, what in the heck is going on with this guy that keeps tailgating me, flashing his brights at me, and then suddenly zips around him and almost causes an accident. I mean, yep. that's a lot to process. You're, you're thinking just random road rage driver and maybe thinking, what did I do? Did I do something that caused, you know, that caused this dude to flip out? And next thing you know, I mean, the dude's getting out of his truck and threatening to shoot you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, it's a great example. A couple of things I found interesting about this one. Uh, the, this is getting to be more common among you know, Uber and Lyft drivers, but he had dash cam footage. Um, I, I found this, this year for the first time, I was in an Uber car in uh, Los Angeles, actually. And I saw that the driver had an ongoing video recording you know, camera mounted to his rear view mirror. And so obviously that's something that we're familiar with from law enforcement, you know, dash cam footage, but now Uber drivers for their own safety. And in this case, it really paid off for this dude uh, also have this dash cam video. And it really paid off because if the, imagine if there'd been no video, Riley, uh, at all, this would have totally changed the perception. But because there was video, uh, Sheriff Judd was able to review it and say, oh yeah, I mean, you're good. And I'll tell you, the video also just explains how quickly these things happen. I mean, you're watching this video and he's, you know, the Uber driver is driving down the road and then really it feels like out of nowhere, this truck just like cuts him off, hits the brakes, comes to a complete stop, jumps out of the, the driver's car, starts walking toward the driver's window. And I mean, yep. you're talking like seconds to react. Like, uh, wait, what's going on? Oh, wait, he's walking toward me. Oh, crap. What's in his hand? Like that's it's really fast, very fast. Uh, and so anyway, I, I really appreciated that there we have video for this one and I appreciate uh, that uh, that he he you know he did that on his own behalf. Uh, this is not the first time we've seen Uber drivers or you know Lyft drivers have to do things like this. I'll just quickly name out two other ones that come to mind. We had an incident in uh, Chicago, Illinois, or a suburb of Chicago, a year or two ago, when Uber driver uh, it had nothing to do with his passenger. He just happened to be uh, having dropped somebody off, and he saw a commotion, and someone started firing shots into a crowd. He jumped out of his Uber car and shot the, the perpetrator. And then another one in Florida, uh, was it earlier this year or no, it was, it was last year. It was like uh, this same time last year where an Uber driver uh, gets cut off in the middle of sort of a highway-esque kind of road by a minivan. Uh, minivan door opens, guy jumps out with two guns, one in each hand, starts approaching the Uber driver and he, he draws and fires four shots and drops that dude right in the street. So what, here's what I'll say. While it, it may be true that Uber and Lyft and these companies have policies against their drivers having guns, uh, apparently that policy is often ignored and Uber drivers uh, apparently appear to be relatively proficient shooters, uh, you know, generally speaking. <laughs> Well, success rate is uh, looking pretty good right now for a lot of these guys. Based on my uh, my three examples here, right? Uh, anyway, yep. I guess a pretty cool story, and it's worth going to watch that video. Um, you know, Andrew provided a link, so you can you can go there. Yeah, yeah. Actually, so in the show notes today is uh, you can go definitely go to Andrew's uh, link. I think it was lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Judd J U D D. Uh, also, a link to one of the local news station stories that normally we would use this link to talk about this story as a justified save, but since that would be redundant, here's a link to the news story if you want to read the the story for yourself. Uh, that'll be in the show notes today. And show notes, by the way, you can find for today's episode at concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 253, 253. 
All right, so let's jump now into some other news. Uh, we have a, a story here that uh, I thought was pretty interesting. And actually, we had a listener send this to us. Uh, we appreciate you, uh, sir. Uh, but I, I think this would also, I'd seen it somewhere on Facebook or something as well. And so I, I was kind of somewhat familiar with this news story. But it's from PBS.org, which is interesting because they're not exactly known for being pro-gun with a lot of the reporting. Um but uh, the title here is There's a New Global Ranking of Gun Deaths. Here's where the U.S. stands. Now, there's quite a bit in detail here that you could dive into. Um, but uh, the, the gist of it here is that they basically looked at the um, deaths per 100,000 people uh, by country. And uh, this is, I think, polling numbers for the year 2016. And it lists the United States as 20th. Uh, with El Salvador at the top and a whole bunch of South American countries and a few others mixed in in there, uh, South and Central America, um, you know, that are ahead of the U.S. and that. So it's not like exactly great company to be in, like if you're being truthful about it. Uh, I mean, what we we do know is that U.S. has a lot of gun-related deaths, right? You just like insulted everyone who lives in all these countries, man. Not good company to be in. Come on. As far as, far as this category? Yeah. I mean, it's... Okay. Well, here, I mean, but like, some of these countries... Some of these like countries is, have very high crime rates. You can't deny no, no, that. Yeah, but, but like some of them Brazil is bad. Brazil, but Brazil is a first world country. It's not like these are all True. like, you True. know, drug lords ruling in the mountains. You know, like Brazil has the third largest military on planet Earth. Uh, this it's a very large company. It's or, or country, country. <laughs> company, country. Um, it, you know, so I, I just I don't want to get the sense like these are all co- countries that are just completely out there. So I'll, I'll read the list. So in order, rank one to twenty: El Salvador, Venezuela, Guatemala, Colombia, Greenland, Honduras, Virgin Islands, Brazil, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Afghanistan, Belize, the Bahamas, Trinidad and Tobago, Mexico, Panama, Paraguay, and uh. Guyana. Is that how you say that country? I know it's in South America. Sounds right to me. French. And then the Dominican Republic and the United States. So in terms of deaths per 100,000, we have 10.6 per 100,000, which on this list would suggest it's not horrible, but there's a lot of countries in the world. So to be in the top 20 is not fantastic either. So it's all a matter of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, Here's one thing about these numbers, right? That we need to understand to be clear on this. This thirty, it lists thirty-seven thousand two hundred deaths uh, by firearms uh, in the U.S. for two thousand sixteen. In the U.S., about two thirds of those deaths are actually from suicide, which is a sad. It's a sad reality. Uh, I wish that weren't the case. I, I hate. I mean, I've we've probably all had suicide in one way or another affect us directly. Uh, it's unfortunately it's a it's one way that a lot of people choose to end their life in in the U.S. is with a gun. All right, that's that's a reality. Um, would they end their lives by some other means? Probably as well. That's certainly. I mean, whether it's drugs, whether it's carbon monoxide, whether it's jumping off a cliff, whatever it is, there's lots of options. But guns are a very effective option. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Interestingly enough, according to this article. When you look at these other countries, about two-thirds of the deaths are homicide-related, and the smaller percentage is, I think it said uh, 27% were suicides. So it's kind of reversed. You know, a lot of these South American, Central American countries have uh, these 
gun-related deaths, but about two-thirds of those are homicide-related, and the you know about a third or a little bit less than a third is suicide. But in the U.S., it's kind of flipped. It's like two-thirds suicide and about a third homicide. Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. What it tells us is that we, we definitely have a problem, right? I mean, you can look at this and say, okay, the U.S. has some problems. But I think another way to look at this is to say, well, while we have some problems, it's maybe not as bad as some people are out there toting it to be, saying that you know we're the worst country on planet Earth for gun violence. And that's really not necessarily the case. But we still have some issues here we need to address. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, mental health is definitely a component of, of all this, I think, especially in the U.S. So when you look at two-thirds of gun-related deaths are suicide-related and how many of those are a, a mental you know, related uh, issue. Um, I don't know. Uh, also, mass shootings that we know are documented as having been committed by uh, mentally ill individuals. Not that that's you know, an expectation that any mentally, I mean, the, the the likelihood of someone that's mentally ill is going to commit a mass shooting is very low, but it still happens, right? There's a lot of things that could be and need to be addressed. Um, but what's interesting about this is that it's showing that the U, as far as looking at per capita, the U.S. is far from being the leader in gun-related deaths. Uh, and we're not even the leader in total gun deaths which is actually Brazil, right? And it lists it here as Brazil having 43,000 uh, gun-related deaths. Um, anyway, so take from this whatever you will. Uh, we're just reporting on it. I thought it was interesting that there's some interesting insights from this that, you know, the P- that PBS is reporting on. And, and I, I, you know, thought there was uh, ammunition for both sides of the debate, I guess. Um, fairly... I think it was fairly, fairly reported on. Uh, interestingly enough, number five on the list was Greenland. Uh, total deaths, 13. <laughs> they must not have a lot of people there. <laughs> right? <laughs> per per, per 100,000, right? I mean, <laughs> 13 deaths and their deaths per 100,000, 25.9. Anyway, that was just interesting. Uh, all right, so let's move on now. NRA ILA reports that... Uh, this is a legislative update on some things we reported in the last several podcast episodes about California. California having a you know late in the year uh, legislative session. Not every state has sessions like this, depending on what state you're in. Like I remember growing up in Idaho, we had legislative session from like January to March or April, and then they're done the rest of the year. There's there's nothing going on for you know eight or nine months of the year. But that's Idaho. <laughs> so California had some legislative work going on the last couple of weeks. Uh, and we reported on a number of bills being looked at in that state that would uh, obviously increase potentially gun control in an already pretty controlled state. Uh, some of these bills deal with uh, raising the, the minimum age for purchasing rifles. Some were raising that minimum age for purchasing rifle, any, you know, any handgun or any firearm or any ammunition to age 21. And that one did not pass, but the one that raises the purchases of long guns from 18 and 21 did pass. So it's now sitting on the governor's desk. Uh, here's a big one that did not pass, uh, which we talked about for, you know, we, we spent a good deal of time talking about, and this was uh, Assembly Bill 2382 that was going to require firearms parts to be purchased through a through a dealer. Uh, that that I thought was pretty, pretty scary as far as gun control goes. Uh, that one did not pass, but what did pass uh, were bills... Uh, 
opening things up to more people that can report or file a gun violence restraining order, or in some states known as an extreme risk protection order. Um, I think that's got some problems there as far as who can now file one of those types of restraining orders that could, um, you know, keep in mind if there's not good due, uh, or excuse me, pro- uh, due process involved uh, with these types of things, you could have your gun rights immediately and severely restricted for something that somebody else entirely that might not even necessarily be all that related to you uh, decided to file about you. Um, we've got a bill that would prohibit, this one did pass and is on the governor's desk, and that is not permitting more than one purchase of a firearm within any 30 day period. Uh, so there's some pretty, pretty serious stuff here. Uh, so Californians, uh, I'm sorry, but you got your work, you know, cut out for you. Uh, chances are governor Jerry Brown is going to sign a lot of these, if not all of them. Uh, I think he needs to hear from, from, from you pro gunners. Yeah, follow the link that's in the show notes or the email if you get our emails from the podcast. And on this uh, on this NRA ILA, ILA page, there's a big button that says "Click here to take action." And if you click on that, um, it you know gives you some more specific uh, ideas. And there's even a form you can kind of fill out to automatically contact uh, uh, to be matched to your legislature, so you can contact your legislators. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> okay, um, sorry to hear about all those things that just passed in California. Hopefully the tide will turn at some point. <clears throat> a story here. Um, deputy shoots man who opened fire at Del Mar Fair, Fairgrounds, Del Mar, California. Uh, just a couple of days ago, um, Fox 5 reports that a deputy shot a man who pulled out a gun and fired shots into the air after he couldn't get into an ice cube concert at the Del Mar Fa- Fairgrounds on Sunday. This is in San Diego County. Uh Basically, what happened is a man came to the ticket window to purchase tickets to attend this Ice Cube concert. He was told that it was sold out, and uh, he was very upset about that for whatever reason. Deputies nearby noticed the commotion and came over to assist. And at some point, this man produced a firearm and random, you know, reading a couple different places, it sounded like he fired into the air. Then there were some other things that seemed to suggest he may have just fired randomly in different directions. I don't know. Either way, the deputies uh, drew their weapons and put him down. Mm-hmm. I love the journalist thought it was important to point out, quote, the man pulled out a silver plated <laughs> semi-automatic handgun End quote. So that's always kind of fun. Um, Sounds appropriate now- for an ice cube concert. Well, yeah. For those of you who, like Riley and I, aren't you know millennials, uh, Ice Cube is is this is not a concert to celebrate frozen water. This is a <laughs> this, this is a this is a guy, this is a singer, you know, who's got cool nickname, Ice Cube. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, no, no one. There's a video, by the way, too. Some you know on on the Twitter, and if you follow the links through from this Fox story. Um, the person on Twitter did post a little, you know, short video and you can watch it and it's not much to see, but it's there. Yeah. Uh, no one, no, no innocent bystanders, no deputies, uh, no one other than the suspect in this case were injured. Uh, so that was very fortunate. It was obviously, I mean, you can watch the video, you'll see there's people all around and, uh, fortunately just, just the bad guy, uh, was injured and he's apparently going to survive, but, uh, Next story here, from, again from the NRA ILA, uh, Gifford's gun control activists plot rollout of next generation firearm restrictions. Why don't you take the lead on this one, Jacob? Yeah, let me let me sum this one up real easy for you. This 
really comes down to the idea that there is a strategy beyond what we see, right? We've talked about this when we did our episode that was all about the slippery slope of gun control. When, when you pass legislation or when you're trying to get legislation passed that you know ultimately won't work, what do you, why, why would you do that, right? Well, you do it because once you get it passed, then you'll go try and get the next thing passed. Uh, so, for example, this particular article gives the example from a USA Today article about uh, you know, trying to push for um, these extreme risk protection order laws. And we've talked about these several times on the podcast, so I'm not going to rehash that. But the, the question says, well, you know, well, once we get this passed, we know that ultimately it's not going to actually stop people who shouldn't have guns from buying guns. So once we get this passed, we acknowledge it really won't solve much of the problem. So then we'll, we'll go fight the next battle. Um, and we see this all the time. I mean, another great example specific to this one. What do you think would happen? What's gonna, what do you think is going to the inevitable like future of extreme risk protection orders? Well, in order for you to show up to someone's house and take away their guns, should they have had an extreme risk protection order you know, levied against them, what would you need to know? Well, you need to know what guns they have, so you know, so you know what to look for, right? When you're trying to confiscate that. Well, in order to know what guns they have, what does that require? Gun registration. Almost all firearm legislation being pushed by the gun grabbers ultimately can only be enforced if gun registration exists. So I, I always see that as like the next clear step. It, it's mm-hmm. all about getting firearm owners on the books because once you have a clear database of who all of us are and what guns we have, the next step gets a ton easier. Uh, which is obviously to get rid of the guns, right? So anyway, I, this article just kind of is it's from the NRA, it's from the ILA, and they're just explaining and, and, and giving some examples from this article and from what the Giffords uh, Law Center is doing to show that they clearly have a strategy beyond the now, beyond the current lowest hanging fruit. It's a give a, if you give a mouse a cookie kind of problem. Yep. Well, we, this comes should, should come as no surprise. We talk about the slippery slope all the time. Uh, this evidences the desire to use that slippery slope to their advantage. Uh, they've been working on this for years. Um, I mean, what more do you expect? So, yeah, I got nothing more to add, man. You did a very nice job of summarizing that. So, um, did you touch a little bit on this uh, Jacksonville shooter? This was the the gaming shooter, uh, the uh, Madden football, you know, video game uh, uh, tournament, and apparently he had a history of mental mental illness, but that was years ago during uh, more of his youth, his teenage years. Uh, keep in mind that the suspect was twenty four years old, and it seems that he had not been treated uh, or or had evidenced any. Um, you know any symptoms, any, yeah, yeah, any illness in the last several years. Um, but the point here that you know, one thing they were touching on is that, according to Maryland's laws, and Maryland is supposedly one of those you know good states, uh, as as the Gifford Center, um, you know, reports or or whatever. You know, they it, it, the state of Maryland is rated as a A minus or whatever in their report, um, suggesting that its gun control laws are very good. Uh, in the gun controller's eyes. And uh, basically, he had a mental history, but that did not prevent him from obtaining his gun. Um, that shouldn't come as a shock to anybody, really, right? To clarify, we're talking about Maryland because that's where he bought the gun. Right, he right. He was a dealer in Maryland. Yeah, yeah, that's where he was from. And uh, he'd had a little bit of a tumultuous uh, childhood. His parents had, a, I guess, a really you know ugly divorce. Um, there was, you know, some other issues going on there. Um, you know, 
But once again, there's actually an interesting quote here, uh, quoting a well-known gun control advocate. It doesn't say who, though. And basically, they said here, if we rolled back the clock and you showed me his background, would I say he'd commit a mass shooting? Asked one rhetorically, one of these experts, supposedly uh, gun control experts. And they answered, I wouldn't. Uh, so once again, it kind of like contradicts a lot of what they would like to push for gun control, suggesting, well, we need to do this and this and this as it relates to mental illness and gun control and, you know, making things a little bit more stringent for purchases and all this stuff. And they recognize the system failed, supposedly failed in their eyes to prevent this guy from getting a gun that he was then able, able to later use in the Jacksonville shooting. But then one of these supposed experts then again also says, if you show me his background, would I have guessed that he would be capable of committing this violence? No. And also, if you look at his history, he didn't really exhibit any signs of violence in the past, which uh, many gun policy experts, it also says here, is the best predictor of future violence. So, you know, and Mark here is actually commenting about uh, mental illness. So I'm not going to quote your, your whole... Uh, comment, Mark, sorry about that, but, uh, you know, suggesting it's very difficult to, to do this, to influence policy or to implement anything that where we can stop mentally ill people from obtaining guns. Uh, basically Mark is suggesting that that's never going to happen. Um, I, I'm not willing to say it's never going to happen or that there aren't some things that we shouldn't, um, as a, as a gun community, potentially look at or consider. I don't know what those solutions are necessarily, but do we want guns in the hands of crazy people? No. What can we do about that? That's the big question. Now, what I know a lot of these anti-gunners want to do is not what I want to do. (laughs) Uh, I I think we need to have open discussion and dialogue amongst ourselves in the gun community and see if there's solutions that we can come up with. At the very least, I think we all could be more, you know, we could all be responsible gun owners by, you know, if we recognize that someone in our family or someone we know uh, or, a, uh, what was I going to say, someone we work with, and I know this starts to get, you know, kind of in that gray area where some of you, makes makes some of you uncomfortable, but if we know somebody that's crazy or is wigging out, is mentally ill, but we also know, uh, you know, grandpa's going crazy. He's getting senile. You know, he's eight, 90 years old and he's, he, you know, he's getting senile, but yet he still has a safe full of guns. I don't know. You know, at some point, maybe we, we need to be responsible ourselves and, and either make sure people get help that they need, they need or talk to grandpa about, Hey grandpa, why don't you let me hang on to your guns? Right. I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's no easy answers there. I think the frustration on our end just comes from seeing endless proposals that not only do we think that they won't do anything to stop future violence, but had they been in place, they wouldn't have stopped the current violence that we're all so upset about. And, and so it's just a matter of like rethinking the problem and saying, yeah. you know, we're trying to fix a broken machine here. Like, just, just let the machine go and let's, let's go attack the, this, this problem from a different angle. Yep. Moving on to a story from the News Observer, newsobserver.com. Uh, lawsuit filed over 2016 fatal shooting of armed robber. And just as this is just as evidence that this sometimes does happen. Now, we don't know how this case will be resolved, um, but uh, this should be an eye opener for just about anybody. Now, in some states, there are a few states where if uh, you receive immunity for prosecution on a criminal you know, case, 
uh, of you know defending yourself with a gun, using deadly force to do so. You shoot a bad guy, you killed him because he was trying to hurt you or your family or whatever, and uh, you are found to be immune from that. Then a lot of times you're also granted immunity from any civil actions that might might come forward. Um, I don't know that's the case for Illinois, and here what we have is a situation where a security guard uh, fired and killed fired shots and killed a uh, 37-year-old suspect who was... Now, get this. This is a pretty violent crime, okay? This is what went down. It was a computer repair shop in Chicago. Um, The man came in, he was armed, and he tied up the employees with zip ties, okay? So he comes in with a gun, ties everybody up, and is is robbing the place. And a security guard, uh, I don't know if he was one that was tied up or if he was somewhere else, but anyway, he came into the picture... And he shot and killed the suspect. Now the family, two years later, are suing that security guard, saying he used excessive force. So yeah, I mean, so my my couple of thoughts on this: uh, he had an accomplice. Would be one. There were two armed men who came right. in uh, to that store. Only one got shot and killed. Um, two thoughts here: one is this is a dead man who's suing from the grave. And I get so tired of people in our community talking about how if you kill someone, they can't sue you, right? Well, kill, shoot them dead, you know, then they can't sue you. It's like, well, actually, dead people sue people all the time. And in fact, dead people are more likely to sue people than injured people because the dead person's family had lost so much. They lost. That person is gone, dead, over. And so they're much more likely to feel that they're owed something by society then your injured attacker might feel that they're owed. And even if, if, you know, if we compare the two lawsuits, one's going to be more serious, right? We're talking about if you kill someone, potentially millions of dollars in damages versus if you injure somebody, there's not as much damages that they can collect as if they're dead and their family or estate is, is filing a lawsuit. So just for whatever that's worth, I, I, I'm using this as one of, an example to prove a point that I, I think we often have to prove to most of the people I see make comments on YouTube. Uh, the second consideration here is you mentioned immunity. Illinois may or may not have that, but here's the key. If, if, if you conduct yourself in such a way that the law enforcement or the district attorney decides to not press charges at all, even if you're in a state which would grant you immunity from civil prosecution if you've been found, if you've been acquitted from criminal prosecution, you've not been acquitted from criminal prosecution. Like There was no criminal prosecution, right? So that immunity doesn't kick in at all because... You were not found innocent of a crime. You were just never charged with the crime. And there's a difference between being charged and being found innocent, and that would grant you immunity should that that law exist in that state, versus just not being charged at all. If you're not charged at all, it doesn't mean you're innocent. It just means you haven't been charged. And so anyway, my other thought about your comments there. Sure. Yep. Well, the family here, by the way, says that they're not trying to defend armed robbery but that the law limits when deadly force may be used. Now, I don't have all the facts of this particular event, but you get, you had a couple of suspects that were armed with deadly weapons and were quite violent towards these uh, occupants of this store. I mean, it, it, to me, it just seems like this family doesn't understand well, what the limits of the law actually are. It does have a comment here that says that when the security guard shot at the at the BG or BGs, he ran out the door, the exterior door of the store, and and continued to chase them while firing. So I think the argument here is, you know, he he continued to pursue the threat long after the threat was no longer threat, right? The BGs were in retreat. They had left. They had run out of this computer repair store, and the security guard gave chase out the store door 
and continue to fire shots. Well, I, I don't so, see it continue to fire shots part. In well, this story. I said, oh, you're right. You're right. It doesn't say continue to fire shots. It just said he said chased out chased the him. door. Yeah. So, so like, like I said, I, that's why I said, I, I guess I'm reading. I don't them. have all the facts, but clearly he was not charged. He was not prosecuted. So it seems like it may have been, you know, likely it was a good shoot. Um, but anyway, moving on <clears throat> KTLA five channel five reports man shoots wife after mistaking her for intruder in San Gabriel, uh, featuring this story because we've seen a couple of these recently and, uh, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this. I just think this is a really good reminder for all of us to be smart and intelligent about how we are handling ourselves in our homes, how we are dealing with what we think might be intruder situations, uh, you know, identifying our targets, knowing our, where our family members are, all of this stuff. Basically, the story goes that it uh, happened about 2.25 a.m. And the man, and there's not a lot of details here, it's just that the man mistook his wife for an intruder and shot at her. And she was wounded in the arm. She's going to be okay. But uh, he has been arrested on suspicion of domestic violence. Now, I, you know, we don't know how that'll be resolved. In some states, uh, depending on domestic violence laws, they might have to, you know, they, they might be required to actually arrest. Uh, some states have laws where any sort of violence takes place against a spouse or a partner. You, They have to be arrested, you know. Maybe the things get sorted out after the fact. Um, that's all we know at this time, but it's just a really great reminder. I mean, we had it happen just recently here in Castle Rock, Colorado and other places. Um, so be, be smart folks. Mm -hmm. A similar story, similar in that we have a man shooting at something he couldn't identify. The journal Inquirer reports man charged with firing gun at ghost. <laughs> and this <laughs> yeah, is right I, up your alley. I, I was thinking of you, buddy, when, when, when this was put in the outline. You were thinking of me, really? Yeah, I'll you know, just, sh uh, shapes, sounds, shapes, and shadows, and sounds, sounds, shadows. Yeah. yeah. So, it's funny. I think the headline's slightly deceiving because, as I read through this, uh, it, it, here's what I get: I get that the homeowner thought there was an intruder, yep. right? Did not think it was a ghost. Thought there was a real, live, you know, physical, not dead and deceased human in his home, and he claims to have shot at that person. Uh, you know, thought the person had broken into the home, fired shots. Law enforcement show up. They see no signs of a break-in. They you know, are using you know dogs to try and find if someone's run off. They, they have there's just zero evidence whatsoever that someone else was in this home. And when when asked more questions about it, this guy apparently is a self-described paranormal investigator. And so, you know, as more questions got asked, he he made comments to the effect of. Well, it must have been a ghost uh, in a very serious way. It's like, well, if, if there's no evidence that anyone else was here, then it must have been a ghost I was shooting at. Um, so I don't, I, I, you know, but, but initially the guy did not report, hey, there's a ghost in my house and I'm shooting at him. He reported someone broke into my home and I fired shots. So anyway, I, the, the whole ghost headline's a little bit funky. <laughs> I agree. Uh, but this is a great example of where evidence tells us its own story, right? Like we may have a certain perception of events. In this case, this guy's perception of events is someone broke into his home and, and was going to attack him. And so he pulled a gun and fired back. And he said, you know, specifically he, he thought he was firing warning shots over the top of this person's head. 
But then now all of a sudden the evidence gets collected and the evidence doesn't tell any of the story. The evidence says no one broke in, no sign of entry. Uh, no, no one else was here. There's no no suggestion that there was any sort of a struggle. I mean, the, even the two shots, bullet the holes shot, were the bullet holes were like two yeah. or three feet off the ground, not 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 in a position that would that would support the narrative of I shot warning shots over this person's head. Um, you know, ultimately, here's what my, my two cents. For me, this is a great example of a man who should not have been talking to investigators. Right, he's making comments like, "Well, maybe it was a ghost," and oh, I was shooting warning shots over the time, like all these things. And I don't, I don't know, you know, how innocent or, or guilty this man is. I don't know what he perceived to be reality. What I do know is that the things he said to investigators are really going to get him in trouble. Yeah, it, I think he's crazy. All right, and I think that he spends his time ghost hunting, and uh, uh, I, I think he is hearing or making things up <laughs> and trying to come up with a good way of justifying uh, whatever the result is of, of, of that. Cause I mean, there was an incident back in 2011 apparently where a similar thing happened where he reported uh, a, a home invasion and nothing was found. Now in that case, he didn't pull out a gun and fire shots. In this case he did fire shots and that's a problem because that puts people's lives in jeopardy, especially when a dude's just firing blankly at a wall or window or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, there's lots of, that's, there's a reason why this is, while we're sharing this today as a don't do this sort of thing is because there's a lot of wrong in what happened in this story, uh, in that, you know, he fired warning shots. He fired supposedly over, I mean, he, he, that's not what he actually did, but that's what he made up in his, or what he decided to tell investigators, you know, as he was trying to figure his way out of the situation. So that's a big issue. Because, you know, he's obviously got the wrong mindset that, hey, that's okay. Fire shots over this dude's head and scare him away. Well, where did those go? Um, yeah, so just lots lots of problems here in this story. So now let's get to actually some good justified save stories. <clears throat> Madison, Wisconsin. I like Madison, Wisconsin. Indeed. Downtown resident points gun at would-be robber. A Madison man went to his gun safe and retrieved a gun after he heard a burglar attempting to enter his home early Friday morning, it says. Um, this happened about 1.30 a.m. <clears throat> this is interesting because what what he encountered is the burglar was halfway through his, through his window. So his upper body, it says, was inside the victim's windows. The 28-year-old man pointed his gun at the intruder and told him to leave. The victim's partner, a 32-year-old woman, said she was calling the police. The, strang- the stranger took off running. Interestingly enough, there were two young children just inside, a 5-year-old and a 6-year-old boy. Uh, they were asleep, and they also were not even awakened during the event. During the event, uh, and I, shots I, were fired. Yeah, I like these kind of stories because just because we have a gun and just because we pull it out to use it in defense does not mean that we have to fire shots. Depending on circumstances, depending on situation, there's many. In fact, I believe there's dozens and dozens and dozens of instances like this that happen every day in the United States of America where good citizens draw guns. Uh, and do not have to fire shots. So nobody gets hurt, but very, very serious situations or events are stopped from happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I like this line. Officers determined he had cut a screen in, a, in an attempt to get inside. You know what that tells me, Riley? If I just close my windows and lock them, I probably would have avoided being this guy's victim. Right? He pre- yeah. probably would have moved on to the next house. Now, you can't avoid all bad, b- bad guys and gals by just locking doors and windows, but a large number you can. Sure, sure. Well, it's also tough, you know. I mean, this is this is Wisconsin, bro. Like, there's lots of people probably don't even have ACs, uh, air conditioning units. You know, it's 
Uh, I don't know. This is. This dude, are is, you just suggesting people from Madison, Wisconsin, are like back? It's up north, dude. Backcountry hillbillies. I'm saying that, like in Idaho, I when I where I grew up, we didn't have an air conditioner. How do, how do we cool the house? We open the windows at night, and it got cool at night, and then we close the windows during the day. Like I so for you I from get Madison, that. who Riley's just insulted, you can email us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a that's a bad thing. I'm saying that depending on where you like, that's not Texas, right? Everybody has or Phoenix. You have air air conditioning there, and it's practical to be in a hot uh, summer and to have your windows closed, and you're able to run the AC and keep things cool. But not okay. at every you know uh, uh, environment or whatever where people might live is that kind of situation. But uh, way, way to defend yourself. But uh, I I mean definitely no, that's true. I mean no matter which way you slice and dice it, uh, if you shut and lock windows and doors, you're always better off than having things open, for sure. Uh, next story from the Osceola News Gazette. Victim shoots armed robbery suspect in cell phone transaction gone wrong. Give us the scoop on this one. So this is a Craigslist deal. Okay. So the victim tells deputies that he made arrangements through Craigslist to purchase cell phones from the BG. They met at the Walgreens to conduct the transaction. Now, the good guy is the one with the phones. Uh, no, excuse me. The the is the bad guy, guy with the phones. The money. He's the buyer. Mm-hmm. The bad guy, the BG, has the phones. He wants to sell them. So they're working on the transaction, and the BG says he wants more money, right? He's making verbal threats. At one point, he goes back to his vehicle, and he grabs something and puts it in a pocket. And our, our good guy seems to think maybe that was a gun, wasn't sure. And so it says the victim feared he was going to be robbed after the suspect walked to his car and placed an object in his waistband. Then the BG approached the victim again in an aggressive manner, demanded additional money, and postured himself as if he was removing a gun from his waistband. Okay, mm-hmm. At this time, the, the good guy, the victim, stated he feared for his life and fired several rounds of Diaz. The suspect retreated to his vehicle and fled the area at a high rate of speed. And he was picked up later. He did suffer a gunshot wound. He was transferred to a hospital, and he's going to be okay. But he has been booked into the Orange County Jail for armed robbery. So uh, yep. here, interesting thing. We often talk about these Craigslist deals. We talk about how you got to n- stop going to dark parking lots. They went to a Walgreens. At 5 uh, I mean, p.m. Yeah, yeah. This is not in the middle of the night. Um, it's probably not even dark this time of year at 5 p.m. And, and it's a Walgreens, probably a relatively well-lit place. Maybe or maybe not, um, you know, very populated. May, may not be a lot of people around. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it was marginally good in that regard, Right. So it could have been better. I mean, it's great to go to like a police station parking lot or a place where it's a little bit more crowded perhaps. But all around, that wasn't bad. Um, This is, uh, I'll call it an inherent risk in the business, right? When you're meeting random strangers to sell them things, especially things where we're talking about a lot of cash. This is multiple cell phones. So probably not talking about 30 bucks, 50 bucks, probably about hundreds of dollars. Um, You you run uh, the risk of this kind of thing happening. In this case, our good guy was prepared. He was ready. And uh, he, he, I think, was relatively patient and took action when he thought he needed to. Yeah. Yep. A couple of things I found interesting about this story is, I mean, I'm glad this guy was reasonably well-prepared and that he went to this meeting, that he was armed, that he was able to use that to his advantage when he needed to. But um, <clears throat> what I thought was interesting is it described that after the initial confrontation, you know, where it became apparent this was a robbery, it says that the bad guy, 
went back, he walked back to his vehicle where he then placed something into his waistband as though it was were a weapon, right? And the thing I th- that 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 prompted me to think of was, well, did that give the good guy an opportunity to maybe try to extricate himself out of that situation? I don't know. You know, obviously we weren't there and we don't have the full details, but when I read the way this it was worded like this, uh the the victim feared he was going to be robbed after the suspect walked to his car and placed an object in his waistband. That just makes it sound like it took some amount of time, <laughs> you know, a couple of seconds. That you know, and he's probably distracted for at some point during that time as he is trying to walk back to his vehicle to get his weapon, whether he had one or not, is irrelevant. And you stayed put. I, I, at that point, I'm thinking. That's that's a great time to start hightailing it out of there, maybe going inside the store, uh, seeking cover someplace, whatever it is. So I don't know. We can't you know judge it too 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 clearly from based uh, based on the available facts that we do have. But that's just an interesting thing to consider. Um, yeah. Another interesting thought here is that the BG was was booked for armed robbery. Now I don't know Florida law. I don't know if you can be booked for armed robbery if you don't actually have a gun. But there's a potential implication here that this guy actually did was armed. The BG might have had a gun. Yeah. Yep. Good shoot. Good shoot. All right. WLOS. This is a new one for me. Uh, Greenville County, South Carolina. Uh, Channel 13, ABC News there reports homeowner and, and attempted robber exchange gunfire. Now, this one I picked up on because of the situation where it occurred both in terms of where and the when. Um, it says here that a homeowner uh, was getting, he was leaving for work. It was about 7 a.m. And uh, the suspect, dressed in dark clothing and a cover over his face, came out from behind some bushes and attempted to rob the victim at gunpoint. So it's, it's as, it sounds like he's, he's walked out, you know, maybe he's parked out in front of the house or whatever and he's walked out the door and he is, you know, the, the bad guy's right there on his property hiding behind some bushes. I mean, mm-hmm. how many of us are looking for bad guys in the bushes when we're leaving for work at 7 a.m.? Probably hardly any of us. This is just how quick something like this can happen. The result is that uh, the homeowner was armed and uh, he exchanged gunfire. So there was gunfire both directions, uh, but the suspect ran away and disappeared in a red pickup. Uh, there's been no report. I mean, he so far to our to our knowledge, that man was not found. Uh, there's been no reported uh, injuries or wounds or anybody showing up at a hospital for a gunshot wound treatment. Um, so, yeah. But regardless, this homeowner is was able to. Uh, survive and live to to see another day because uh, being prepared, I mean, at least in some way prepared at that time. I don't know what it looked like as far as that bad guy getting the drop on him or what, but uh, the homeowner was able to to uh, prevail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is scary stuff. Uh, A moment where, you know, generally speaking, criminals are are late night people. They're not early early risers, right? I mean, for me, there's also a targeting concern here. It's like, if you're looking to rob people, do you, do you randomly pick some random house and say, this person's going to come out here in a minute, I'll just wait? Or is this a little bit more targeted? At the very least, the person's been cased. Maybe there's some sense of their pattern. And when they leave in the morning, I don't know. It, yep. it's, 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 it's probably not as simple as just random attack. Yeah. Seems that way. Our final justified save story, Lakewood couple. This is interesting because when anytime I see a headline with Lakewood, I live in Lakewood, Colorado. It's a 
sub, suburb basically of Denver, right? Lakewood couple, this is Lakewood, California, attacked in their backyard with an iron pole. It's another one of those things, like, it seems like several of these stories are kind of unusual. Well, these last two especially, you know, just, you don't see that many armed robberies take place at somebody's home at 7 a.m. on a work day, right? You also don't necessarily see a lot of people just chilling in their backyard. Again, at, and this is at 5 p.m., right, in California, Lakewood, California, 5 p.m., and uh, they're just chilling in their backyard, and some dude comes into the backyard and starts beating them with an iron pole. Well, fortunately, one of the homeowners was able to, either he was already armed or he was able to get armed, and he grabbed a gun and fired one round and hit the intruder. Uh, The intruder was transported to the hospital, Apparently is, I mean, he didn't die, at least from what they've said so far. They don't say what his condition is. Um, but yeah, I mean, a pretty, you know, simple story here. Not a lot of detail again, but I think almost, almost all of our, see, all of our justified safe stories. I think no one, no, none of the bad guys died today, right? That's correct. I don't think anyone died. Interesting. I don't know if we've ever had an episode quite like this one in hey, that we'll respect. So, I, I mean, what do you make of this one, Jacob? You're, you're just chilling in your backyard, 5 p.m., enjoying a barbecue, dinner, or whatever it is, and all of a sudden somebody just shows up with an iron pole. Yeah. I mean, we've seen attacks in backyards before. It's just certainly not as, as common. Um, we don't know what the motive was. That's, you know, that's one of those really weird things. Um, what's clear is that if your gun's in the house, it's too late now. You're, if, you're, if your big grand plan is to run in the house, open a safe, and grab your gun, uh, you you might be in big trouble. Yeah. So I guess that would be my only real takeaway is that once again, you know, beating the dead horse of have that gun with you. Yeah. Um, or at least have things staged in a way that you can get to them quickly. I mean, like I, I totally get, like I carry 24, well, 24 seven, you know, relatively speaking, right? Like all the time you carrying right now, Jacob. Yeah. I'm carrying right now. I mean, we're just chilling at our homes, doing our thing, you know, doing the podcast, working from home like we do virtually every day. Uh, carry every waking moment of the day, pretty much, with few exceptions. Uh, but at the same time, I, c- I can kind of understand someone wanting to relax, chill, kick back, enjoy a nice summer evening in their backyard, and maybe not necessarily having that gun right on their person. I mean, that's not how I'd be. I, I would have something on me, no matter what. That's just how I operate. Call me paranoid, what- whatever you-, you want to. It's fine. Uh, I'll be paranoid. I don't care. But uh, Clint Macro says you're paranoid. Uh, yeah, it's true. But, you know, this is just a great opportunity to consider if you are not, for those times where you aren't carrying, for instance, when I'm showering, I'm not carrying. I don't have my gun laying out on the counter in the in the bathroom because I got little kids that might, you know, every once in a while I get surprised. I'm trying to take a shower and shoot, somebody comes zipping in, you know. Uh, so when, I, when I'm going to take a shower or whatever, I'm putting that gun away. But do you have a plan in place for what you would do as far as having that gun staged in a way that if you had to jump out of that shower really quick and get to a gun, where would you get to it? How is it staged? How is it ready? You know, can you get to it within a few seconds to where you can still use it fairly effectively, even though you might be in a compromised situation? That's that's what I'm taking from this. Yeah, all valid. Good points. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there 100%. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. <laughs> so It's rare that we disagree. And when we do, it's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's true. I, for instance, I, I disagree with you on the you know wearing hearing protection while vacuuming. 
Though we did get a picture this week from a podcast listener. <laughs> That's why I brought it up, that bro. That person wearing <laughs> hearing protection while vacuuming. So, so you, thank you very much, sir, for sending that email with that picture to show. And I, I don't think they said that they'd always done it. I think they said that they were inspired. That was Brian by, by the, the podcast. Way. Brian, yeah, we, we appreciate you, Brian. Yes, that, I'm keeping that picture handy and on file. I assure you. <laughs> I really have no problem with you wearing hearing protection while vacuuming. I just I don't do it, but. Uh, I thought this was cool. By the way, Brian said this. Brian said this. He said that he does not vacuum with ear ear protection, but I am thinking of adopting it. And he had his his ear pro on while he was – he literally sent us a picture of him in his living room or whatever running the vacuum with ear pro on. And you know what? I applaud you for that, sir. And I'm glad Jacob in his weird way, you know, somehow touched you personally. And that's that's (laughs) awesome. There's nothing wrong with protecting hearing. <laughs> uh, good stuff. We appreciate Brian and everyone else for being uh, loyal listeners of the podcast. And, and to all of you uh, uh, viewing on Facebook Live today, thank you for being a part of this episode. A reminder that uh, today's episode is made possible by our concealedcarry.com adhesive reactive targets that are super awesome. <laughs> We should call them at least the 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 concealedcarry.com super awesome targets because they are. Sure. You can call them that, right? You go ahead. <laughs> Check them out at concealedcarry.com forward slash CC targets. Very, very reasonably priced. And I, I know that you'll love them if you'll just give them a try. We've got uh, classic bullseye style targets. We've got uh, B27 center replacing targets. So if you're using a B27, it'll go right on the center of that. Or you can just use it by itself. Or B21, yeah. I think B27, B21, I think you can use that. B29. Oh, B29. I can't hear you. Apparently, i got to protect my hearing more. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, we've got some like small little three-inch bullseyes now we just added to the store recently. And we also have sight-in targets. Hunting season's coming up here soon. And uh, many of you are already getting into that. So uh, you can use our sight-in target for sighting in your rifle. That'd be a great, great one to use for hunting season. Concealedcarry.com forward slash CC targets. And then also today's other sponsor, Law of Self Defense Level 1 online course, available at concealedcarry.com forward slash LOSD level 1, as in numeral 1. So thank you everyone for being part of uh, this episode today. Uh, we're going to let you go. We'll see you th- back Thursday with more great content from us here at concealedcarry.com and the, Conce- and the Concealed Carry podcast. We really do appreciate uh, all of the loyal support. Jacob, you got anything else to add, buddy? Nope, rock and roll, brother. So with that, a reminder, I've been really struggling talking today. Blah, 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 blah. It's kind of every day. I don't know if you it, noticed. I you, frequently you do struggle. Pretty much every day. Well, not every day, but today for sure. Like I've been just struggling. So a reminder <laughs> to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws. But things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.